So Rohit, building on to what you said about our society or our family pushing stuff under the rug, uh, people are hesitant or moreover afraid to embrace certain feelings, feelings like depression or anxiety, whatever those feelings are. So people are afraid to embrace these feelings. That may be because in today, today's society, we are encouraged to suppress those feelings rather than embrace it. But suppressing will not help you deal with the issue. So how do you suggest people embrace feelings such as anxiety or even overthinking to that matter? Feelings in general, because people don't want to admit to any feelings that they have. They think themselves as cyborgs. Yeah, yeah true. Um, so these are both, uh, yeah, great questions. So, um, and also something I'm extremely passionate about. Uh, let me see. So I look at it from two angles. The first thing is let's let's talk about this, the the what's happening in our brains. Okay, the neuroscience behind it. Um, now, our feelings and our emotions. They are, you know, okay. This is gross oversimplification. Okay, but we're just talk, going to use some basic models just to help us explain some concepts. So if we were just kind of separate into um, the rational mind and the emotional mind. Okay? There's, our brains don't actually work so, you know, so black and white, but let's just use that for a second. Uh, all sensory uh, information comes up, you know, our brains and the back of our necks. It comes into the cerebrum, right? You've got your amygdala, and that does a lot of our processing now. If we're in a heightened state and the amygdala goes into shutdown, that's when we experience these crazy emotions of discomfort, panic, anxiety, and so on. Now the, the, the cerebrum will tap into the prefrontal cortex, right? The rational side of our mind, just to kind of check in a bit. But most of the, 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 the responses are, are fairly automatic, right? They're happening back here. Now, that is both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because actually these systems were, were designed to protect us. And they are incredibly intelligent systems. We are in an era now where we kind of vilify this lizard brain, right? The emotional side, where we're so attached to our prefrontal cortex and rational and logical. But this brain is older. This brain is, is much older. And if you read different perspectives, it can also have a huge amount of subconscious intelligence. Now, how do we tap into that? I think the secret is the emotions. I think the secret is the, 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 our uh, older mammalian lizard brain is communicating to us through the, the, the metaphors and the language of emotions. Emotion was used to motivate you to intelligent action. If something was about to attack, I, I think I see a snake in the corner, right? My amygdala goes into overdrive. It floods my body with emotions, right? That emotion provides me the motivation to either fight, flight, or flee. And very quickly, it's much faster than the rational brain. It's happening in instance, right? And the problem is, is that nowadays we have, we have learned to resist. We're even told, you don't feel down. You know, big girls don't cry, right? Um, brave boys who don't show, you know, this and so on. And so we suppress, we suppress, we suppress. And we're losing out all of that information that can help us to live better lives. This, this ancient, ancient knowledge, we're losing out on. 
Okay. So I, I do think the answer is that we need to learn to embrace our emotions, even if the, the, the result of that discomfort that's coming from the emotion is something you eventually want to move away from, right? Let's say your emotions are coming up because you're actually being physically abused or whatever, mentally abused, and, and, and the result is that you want to walk away. I still say we need to first open to that discomfort I, in order to understand the message that, hey, this is really unhealthy, I need to move. The first step is awareness, right? The first step is to become more aware. Now, that is very scary when, you're, when you've been numbing to emotions for most of your life. I see this pattern a lot with the people I'm coaching, even in myself, right? Um, let's say I get into an argument with my, my dad or my mom or a family member, someone I care about. Now, suddenly, I'm feeling our thoughts, right? I start to feel, and, and I'm upset that maybe they expected me to do something. They expect me to go on some family thing or whatever it is. And actually, I'm busy. I want to do this. I'm torn between these two and, and, and we get into a yelling match or whatever. And there's some emotions rolling, 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 <laughs> going on inside. All right. And I naturally tend to numb. That's the, the strategy we all have learned. I'll numb by calling a friend, you know, and just like, you know, maybe saying, hey, look, can we do this? Can we do that? Or talk to me about your day or whatever. Or I'll put on Netflix, right? Like, oh, you know what, just let me just watch something or um, escape into addictions, um, maybe, yeah, take my mind off it, right? Like um, people might use chemicals like alcohol or, or pornography or anything to just numb, to try to avoid those feelings. Now, the problem is in the brain is that whenever you numb, it only makes those neural pathways stronger. Because the numbing is a defense mechanism. So, in fact, you're reinforcing the entire process. Now. The idea, if you've been numbing to something quite strong, right? Like, 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 let's say feelings of unworthiness. Let's say you just don't feel like you're good enough for your job or whatever it is. And so anytime you feel like that, you numb it with some different strategies. It might be anger. You just get angry. You blame your other colleagues. They're the ones who are at fault. Or you blame your spouse. She distracted me or he distracted me, right? And so on. But if you decide, you know, enough's enough. I'm not learning. I'm not growing from these experiences. Um, I want to listen. W what is the case for that? Well, if you want to improve or grow in any area of life, it requires resistance and discomfort. Let's use a simple metaphor of our body, right? If I want to grow to improve my body, I've got to put it through some kind of resistance, some kind of discomfort, some kind of thing that's going to help me to grow my muscles, right? That's what, so if I, if I'm, you know, lifting a weight, it is that resistance that I'm pushing against, right? That's going to provide the impetus for my muscles that I need to grow. Now, I don't, I don't look at that weight and I'm not like, oh, you stupid, pathetic, horrible, ridiculous, oh, horrible weight. Yeah, I'm being polite. Yeah. Okay, okay, thanks for that. But you know, I'm not I'm not gonna be screaming at the weight and resenting it, right? The weight is providing with me with that resistance. Now, that is the same exact metaphor for your emotional journey. If you want to step into the proverbial emotional gym, you've got to start to see those negative emotions not as a curse. They're a gift. They're there to provide you with the strength that you need. But in order to do that, you're going to have to start to see them differently. 
I no longer see my negative emotions as something to avoid, something to resent. In fact, I'm very grateful for those emotions. Pain and difficult times, within, within reason, right, have been the number one thing that has given me growth. When, whenever success has just been handed to me or really, you know, things that are so far beyond um, what most people would have had at that age, they actually weren't such a good thing because I hadn't gone through the struggle to develop the skills and the character that I needed to sustain it. Does that make sense? When I look back on my life, it's the hardest time. It's the depression, the struggle, the, the, the problems in relational, all of that stuff. That's what gave me the, uh, the soil, gave me the, the, the ammunition, the, 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 the resources I needed, the nutrition I needed to grow. So every day, first we can start to reframe what these negative emotions are. Your negative emotions are, are gifts. They are messages. Okay, they are trying to tell you that something is not quite aligned, that there's something that you want to listen to. Now, life is so complex. And for me to sit and rationally make good choices, I have learned personally, I can overthink something to the ends of the, you know, of the universe and still make a pretty dumb decision. I have found that my subconscious, my emotions, bless you, my emotions, my subconscious, my, my, you know, these, they have so much more intelligence, but I need to learn how to listen and interpret. And so what I do, here's a tool that I use every single day. It's the one that I do not have ever. And I call it mood words. And so every single day uh, in, in my early morning, before I interact with anybody else, I will sit down in my journal and I will write down five words uh, that describe what I'm feeling. Now, I've been doing this for years. I can, I can literally sit down and write 20 at any given time because I've practiced this so much. But it's something for you to try as an experiment, right? I ask people all the time, tell me five words for how you're feeling. Most people get to three and they get stuck. Especially in India, like if I ask them how you're feeling, oh, okay, I'm good, uh, not sure, <laughs> you know, maybe happy, sad. It quite... Now you think about this, this is quite generic, okay? Our emotions contain huge amounts of information. They are incredibly complex, right? When we actually critically examine them. And yet we have a handful of words. You can't decipher your emotions if you don't have a vocabulary to begin to explore them. So one of the things I use is um, I have uh, mood, we mood wheels and things like that, that that help you to get a bigger vocabulary. I've, I've been building my emotional vocabulary so I can be more concise about what my emotions are telling me. Now, when I put this down, so the first thing I do is I put my five emotions, right? And I will I'll put them in one column. And then the next thing I want to do is I want to express gratitude for those emotions. Now, there's a very specific reason I'm saying gratitude. When I move to numbing, all right, so when I move from a negative emotion, let's say I'm feeling um, angry or frustrated. Um, let's say I was, you know, I had a really unproductive day yesterday and today I'm just, I'm feeling really like, kind of like, oh, I'm sick of this. I'm, I want to be more productive. You know, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling like I'm useless, whatever. So take that word frustration, right? I'm feeling frustrated with myself. And normally what I do is I numb. Right? So I don't acknowledge that I'm feeling frustrated. I numb it by getting angry at somebody or escaping into some other thing and so on. What that does is it limits my options. Right? I can't go 
open to new paradigms because I'm going through the same old patterns that I always had, right? Negative emotion comes up, my standard pattern, get angry. Or escape and hide and just say whatever you want, whatever you want. Like, you know, a lot of us do that as well, right? Like your boss tells you something that you're not happy with and, you know, it's something that you think we shouldn't be doing that, but you're like, okay, whatever you say, I'll, you know, sure, I can do that. And you change everything that you believe in to suit that, right? Um, so, so as long as we continue these patterns, we're limiting our options. What gratitude does, if you look at the science behind gratitude, the neuroscience of gratitude, gratitude actually literally rewires your, your brain. It literally opens up neural pathways so that you can see more options. It's literally like opening your eyes wide for a second. By saying, I am grateful for feeling frustrated this morning. I can now, suddenly I have a new kind of energy. By numbing, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when you feel bad and then you numb, I say you're numb by um, watching TV or whatever it is. Have you noticed that when you stop numbing, you feel even lower energy than before? You know, a lot of people, you feel exactly, you feel tired, you've lost your mental energies because you've given away, you've literally given away your happy chemicals to that distracting thing. And so when you come out of it, you've actually depleted your resource to handle whatever it was you were trying to handle. And so you feel even worse. Um, by, show, by showing gratitude for the emotion, I, I pause that and I open up to the information that the emotion is sending me. And so I say, okay, I'm grateful for feeling frustrated this morning. Why am I, so not just as an idea, but practically, why am I feeling grateful for being frustrated at myself? I'm like, okay, well, it tells me one, the only reason I'm feeling this emotion is because I actually care about being productive. I'm somebody who doesn't want to waste my life. You know, I care about being productive. Isn't that a nice thought? Rather than beating myself up, I'm like, hey, actually, yeah, I actually care about being productive. Okay, the second thing that that does is that makes me think, huh, now that I'm feeling this emotion, it's actually motivation for me to find a new way of trying whatever my daily routine was. So yesterday didn't work. Great. That's give, that gives me more information. Now that's one experiment, right? As engineers, you know, this is one experiment that didn't work. So great. What, I've got some new information. What do I want to do differently today? Maybe today, instead of putting my exercise for the evening when I'm feeling tired, maybe today I'm going to try waking up and exercising first thing, you know, and I'll try some new experiment. Suddenly, from this emotion that I labeled as negative, I've now got inspiration. I've got enthusiasm. I've got energy. I've got motivation. I'm curious, you know. This is easily the most transformative tool I have ever learned, and it's why I do it every single day. Um, and so... Uh, my, my final tip on this would be, in the same way, if you start a new exercise routine, let's say you pick up yoga for the first time, um, it would be really, really um, uh, silly to try to jump into advanced yoga pose, right? Where you're like balancing on your arms with one foot in the air, you know, you know doing the splits or whatever. You don't have the the foundation, right? Your, your, your muscles haven't learned. You don't have the flexibility. You don't have the stability. And if you ever tried to get into some, you know, yoga poses where your body starts to tremble, right? You're like, what the heck? And everybody else in the class is like breathing so calmly and getting into it, right? But the, a much better practice is to start slowly, right? Is to start with some basic foundational exercises, you know, start learning how to master the downward dog, you know, um, where do you put your pressure? Where do you where do you put 
um, your emphasis. How do you rotate out your shoulders and pull them back so you protect your neck? You know, how do you, where does your pelvis tilt? These little things you can learn in that pose. And then one day you'll find that, you know, as the rest of the class tries a handstand, you're effortlessly balancing and you're like, what's going on, you know? Because you've gone through those basics. So my final tip on this is don't try to dive off the deep end. If you are dealing with some really, really, you know, ferocious, um, persistent, dark um, emotions, don't say, okay, yeah, Rose said, you know, we need to be grateful for her emotions. Come on, let me just sit down. I'm going to journal for the next two hours about how shit I'm feeling, you know. Um, and, and, and you'll be surprised because people, you know, we can all do that, you know, and, and suddenly you open up just like what happened to me on that day when I first saw everything that I was afraid of can be overwhelming. So instead I would start with just light emotions. I would start just doing one a day. You know, I think that a lot of times people talk about strategies, for how to, to overcome depression. You know, we all know it. We all know it. It's not rocket science. You know, eat better, right? Like stop, get off the processed food, like eat complex carbs, you know, um, drink more water, stay away from sugar, stay away from alcohol, sleep, uh, biggest one, right? Like try to get a lot of sleep. That means getting off your devices early so that your brain can get into, you know, low lighting, no distractions, all of that stuff. Like exercise is one of the biggest ones, right? Exercise regularly, meditation, pranayama, breathing. I mean, these are huge. We, we know this, but the problem is, is that we don't know how to get into the practice of it. Journaling is, 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 has been researched for, for decades, and we know that, that, it, that it builds resilience, emotional awareness. But how do you get into the habit of it? You know, it's nice. I can tell you all these things, but what's the point if tomorrow you say, you know, man, I'm a college student, right? Like I'm still trying to get finish the project without binging on Netflix or whatever it is. And you're telling me to get into meditation and exercise and all of this stuff. So in that sense, my, my answer is it is far better to start a ridiculously small, tiny, tiny habit and to try these big things that you do every now and again. So when I'm coaching people, I will tell them for two weeks, you're going to start journaling, but for two weeks, the only thing you're allowed to do is open your journal and write the date. And you have to close it and put it away. I'm going to track you. And they have to, you know, we have these tracking apps. So I track them for two weeks to see, have you opened the journal and written the date and put it away? Because I know if I can get them to start that habit, then we can move on to the next step. So the next thing I tell them is I want you to write one word for how you're feeling at that moment. Just one word. Don't describe it. Don't get into it. Just put one word down. You know, do that for a week. And what starts to happen is you're literally creating a new neural pathway in the brain. And it becomes easier and easier. And, you, and you, so you can start to examine just your light emotions, you know, like, uh, okay, so I'm, oh, no, no, I'm feeling really scared about, I don't want to use that word. Okay, so let me tell you something light. I'm feeling a little bit restless. You know, road's talking too long. I need to change the channel or whatever it is. So I'm feeling a little restless, right? That's the word I can put down. Okay, I put restless down. So why can I be grateful for that feeling of restless? So, you know, it might be so some common themes that I find is um, often an emotion gives me an opportunity to practice. So if I'm feeling, let's say, um, uh, low energy and I'm not feeling enthusiastic, that's something that I've always hated my whole life. 
I've always vilified low energy. I always think that you've got to be en- energized and motivated, which is bullshit. You can bleep that out. It's nonsense, right? Like our society is addicted to these high energy states. You know, in the research, it's the beta waves, right? I believe where we're kind of into problem solving and high stress mode and we're like working really hard. But actually, we need to be able to get off those waves. We need to go into alpha waves. To spend a lot of time in a mellow state is really good for learning. And so what I do is I, when I put that emotion down, my gratitude is, okay, this is an opportunity for me to practice being in a low energy state. So this morning I woke up with very little energy. I, I didn't get much sleep. I'm like, my word is like lazy, lethargic, whatever. I'm like, okay, great. My gratitude is opportunity to practice. Opportunity to practice in changing my narratives around what it means to be low energy and to be able to go with the flow and still enjoy my day. You know, I think one of the biggest secrets of life is to be able to enjoy the mundane, right? Young parents will tell you this a lot. They always think about the highlights, but most of life is just changing diapers and cleaning up after your kids and so on and you need to learn to enjoy it. So that would, so, yeah. Let me leave it at that. Mood words, start really small, one a day, and then slowly progress. Just to add on to that, because I had a feeling you would come to those mood words. So this is my like book, which I like, um, when I first heard you speak, so you had mentioned mood words that day too. So I also began writing. So I, I do three a day now. But uh, I think the biggest takeaway is that I'm surprised that how how much we actually do care about ourselves even though we feel like we don't because emotions in a way is how you transpired uh, how you react to what your body is feeling so many a times i'll be like why was i angry i was angry because i care about myself in the end it comes down to that so i think we underestimate ourselves when it comes to like uh, people always generally mention that yeah, you don't care about yourself enough. You don't care about yourselves enough. But if we learn to accept emotions, I think those are the best, uh, you know, teachers of how much you actually do care about yourself. Even though you might not consciously be able to do so, but your body subconsciously cares for itself because it wants to survive in the end. Mm-hmm. I want to say like a mm-hmm, treat it, man, <laughs> like big. That was awesome. Like really well said. I was like, I could have said it better. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, let's uh, switch up the flow a little bit. It's about an hour of recording, and probably it's getting monotonous for the people who are watching. So we have some quick fire questions. So rapid fire questions, where you can answer in either a word or a sentence, but whatever, like the first thing that comes on your mind. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad okay. this isn't live, so you can censor me if I say anything that's too dark. Yes. <laughs> One of the perks of post-editing. Uh, okay, here's the first one. Do you think crying is a sign of weakness or strength? I definitely wouldn't say it's weakness. Um, I don't necessarily see it as strength either. I mean, uh, neither. I think it's natural thing it's one of my favorite things to do and and on the whole world like i love crying it makes me feel so alive i love movies that make me cry um yeah i don't see it as a as a negative or positive thing i think it's a beautiful thing to be able to you know express what we're feeling in a physical way 
which book would you choose for the children to read that would help their mental health in the future? Oh, children, meaning what, what age group? Teenagers, or uh, getting into PUC or college. Oh, okay, 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 yes. Um, mm, wow. I have, uh, there's so many books I love. I think The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, it was, there was, you know, one of two books that I literally carried around with me in my bag for years when I was going through depression. And when I would really struggle, I'd pull out, you know, one of those books, Eckhart Tolle's book, to just read it and remind me to be present. Yeah, really, really helpful. And then fluffy for me, especially the beginning. So those who are going to read it, like that first few chapters are like really fluffy. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, what the heck? But, 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 but persist, I promise you, it's, it's, it's worth it. What is something you do differently than most people? Apart from uh, your mood words. Oh my gosh, I wish I I think I'm, sometimes I think I'm an alien because I do so many things differently from everybody else. Um, I think most people would be surprised by, by my lifestyle. Um, as someone who has traveled all over the world and um, has been given a lot of opportunities, I live very, very simply. I would say about 80% of my day, every day is exactly the same. Like I, I do the same series of things in the mornings. I do the same series of things in the evenings. It, there's a very small window where I do a few different things in the day. I think that would surprise people, especially people who knew me when I was young, because to do the same thing was like my idea of hell. Um, but it's something that I've, I've groomed. I think people would be very surprised by that. That comes to our next question then. Would you rather be reborn as a, a genius who always worries or a joyful simpleton? Simpleton. I mean, there's no. I mean, hey, why? Like, give me joy and simple simplicity, man. I'll take it. Which is actually, you know, just to make a note, you've, you've put a, raise an interesting point. Most um, depression is also linked to signs of intelligence. And um, so people, you know, who, who are facing depression and anxiety, oftentimes it takes a mind that can see possibilities that most people won't see. So let that encourage you, you know. Um, it, it doesn't mean that, and there's so many shades. There's, it's not depression, anxiety, and not. That's just not how it works. It's not even a grayscale. It's a color wheel. And all of us fall on different paths. There are areas that today I am phenomenally strong in. And there are areas that today I am a complete ass. And you would be phenomenally strong. It doesn't matter who you are. It's a color wheel. Yes. Okay. Do you think people in general are more worried about doing things right or doing the right things? I would say, sadly, it's about doing things right. I think most people are just thinking about, you know, what is in my life? Can I do it better? Versus what should my life be about? You know, what is the right thing or what do I? Understandable. If you could change one instant into your career or life, what would it be or why and why? Probably. 
I don't think I would change a single thing. I used to, um, yeah, I have zero regrets. Not a single Probably thing. Probably not in the perspective of regrets, but in the perspective of, per, uh, perspective of just seeing what an alternative path would be in the choice. See, I mean, any answer I give, like for example, I studied design. I studied design thinking and graphics. Um, after that, I, I run businesses and most of my work has then been in training and, and behavioral coaching and things like that. But would I have gone back and chosen to do psychology instead? No, because I think the fact that I studied design thinking has meant that the way that I see problems are so different as a behavioral coach than other people, you know, in that same thing. And, and whether or not I'm effective, those choices have led me to who I am today. Now, if I had to go back to a young role and, and, and maybe give him a chance at a different life, I don't think I'd give him anything about doing things differently. I would just maybe talk to him about compassion and, and, and to, you know, just, yeah, just say like, I wish that um, everyone can learn how valuable self-compassion is. And if you, you know, we think that if you're really kind to yourself, you're going to end up becoming an idiot and you're going to treat people really bad. You're going to become selfish. And that's what I believed my whole life. So I was always hard on myself. And I, that's the one thing I think, just learn compassion. Speaking of no regrets, um, if, if the saying is true that we learn from our mistakes, then why are people afraid to make mistakes? You've got to look at just how far back we learned to regret mistakes. It happened when we were very, very young. You know, I'm watching my nieces grow up, you know, two, three, four, five. And they, they have zero, zero, and they're one and two. There's no fear of making a mistake, right? They'll run naked into the room with everybody and like shout like, nanga panga, nanga panga, and dance around the room, you know? Um, but as they get older, we as a society start to tell them like, no, that was really wrong what you did when you shouted that out and you know, said like, yeah, I can't stand the cake that granny made or whatever. And we're like, God, that was really bad. That was really wrong. And everybody in the room is scowling. You see everyone's faces, you know. I mean, the young kid had said something and because they're scared of what granny would think, everyone's like, oh, don't say that. We don't say that. We don't say disgusting to food and so on. And they, they respond to that, you know. Suddenly they've got this major rejection and there's, there's a consequence, you know. Disconnection is one of the one of the fiercest things we'll feel as humans. And so such a young age, we're learning, okay, mistake bad, learn to perform, learn to perform, learn to perform. And so now as we get older, even though we know, no, 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 from all the logical perspective, our emotions still kick in. You know, we make a mistake, bam, my emotions. And that's again where, without the emotional awareness, and the emo I, I think of it as emotional agility. Without that emotional agility, you can't choose. That is the reason why I think the benefits I experienced today, you know, Abhishek, I made a list of all my fears and then I went after every single one. And every time I tried it, it was not easy. Every time I felt like an idiot. I felt like a beginner. Learn, go learn to dance salsa in Colombia on a stage in front of people. Like I felt like a fool, you know. These guys are the gods of dance and I'm like, uh. <laughs> but eventually with enough practice, I began to become a little more comfortable with that feeling of being a beginner that feeling of not knowing what I'm doing, being an idiot. 
and then man then you make a fool of yourself in public you know and it's like you find like oh okay it's okay i i can handle this i can breathe and you know um so i think it's it's been programmed and we need to so i should have given you the short answer right it's been programmed and we need to we need to unlearn what we've learned <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the society what do you think is a difficult more difficult challenge to overcome your mental uh, self or the environment barring some very extreme situations that that um that we can find ourselves in right like you know one of the charities i work with does a lot of work with the what's called garbage city in bombay where young people are born into economic slavery there is no chance to escape if they try to get an education and leave their family will be punished like it's they are trapped in slavery so we so i'm making a statement to people who have a lot more privilege so we do need to make that qualification but barring that i do think it's the mental i think if you can learn to really do the work in your emotions and your mind i mean really not everybody comes to like a certain degree and they stop i mean the long haul that last 10% then it's ridiculous how external things seem to just go your way you know it's like a new you call it luck maybe you you call it um a higher power whatever you but if you will do that work it's incredible how challenges uh, change the way you approach them opportunity of it we all get just one life so why do many people do things they don't like and like things they don't do what do you feel about that see for me it comes back to the fear state when i look at my life because i chose to do that radical list of fear and to literally face all of them i saw just how much fear was in my life i mean almost every decision everything behind it was fear and they seemed really brave i started my first business when i was 18 years old you know um by 19 it was incorporated like that seems really brave but it was motivated by deep fear of of insecurity i didn't feel like i was worth so achievement and getting things done was my way of trying to get self worth and i i see so much of that early motivation was was fear and now when i look at society as a blanketing statement i see most of us are just listening to fear and we don't know it the the thing about fear is that it's the entire system is designed to go in the background so that you can focus on the threat and so we our fear tells us narratives you know it's why we condemn people who are different from us it's because what they say threatens us you know look at the political divide right the left and the right what they are saying threatens me and so i just immediately go into attack mode if i don't even listen to the evidence i just attack and that's my fear speaking i don't think it is i think it's my courage and my strength and my conviction but actually it's just deep down fear and so why do people do the same thing over and over why don't they change their lives even though because they're suppressing they're numbing they resent they condemn whatever is new and keeps us in these patterns these patterns of behavior and yes it hurts us but that only reinforces the pattern as a poet once said um people feel like they're a, they're like feet in a shoe so there's one foot surrounded by darkness unknowing that there are others like him 
and they think they're the only person in the world who are surrounded by darkness. Thank you. Oh, let's ask you a different question. What three words would you use to describe the last three months of your life? Um, the last three months of my life. Um, content. Um, growing. Um, connected. Yeah. And when you're in isolation, and if you're in a bad headspace, which is better, the bitter truth or a beautiful life at that moment? It depends on the state. You know, if, I mean, if I take it back to the, some of the really low days, then a, then, then a beautiful life, man. Like, I'm, I'm a mess, you know, like I'm collapsing. I need someone to just come in and support me, to hold me, tell me everything's going to be okay. Even if I'm like, done something drastic or whatever. I just need someone to come in and say, you know, like, I don't need them to be coming in and saying, listen, you're screwed up, you're depressed, you're messed up, you've just made this terrible decision. That might just throw me over the edge. Um, so maybe something in between, like kind of like a, a sugar-coated truth, like <laughs> eventually I want the truth. Eventually I want the truth. Um, but but I have the I have the the um have the the tools right I have the practices I have the strength to handle it I wouldn't throw my niece a really heavy weight you know just out of the blue she doesn't have that but slowly as she learns to catch things and stuff you progress right so. So I, I don't want the full blatant bitter truth as one big fat slap and like if I don't have the tools. Now I have the tools. So now I do a lot of yeah, I I, I go to those crazy things other people would stay away from. Um because I'm very open to like show me. Give me the demons, give me the scary stuff, you know? Okay. Um Okay, this is one more. What's the difference between settling for things and accepting the things they, uh, the way they are? Very good question. For me, I was talking to my friend yesterday about the difference between being and becoming. All of society puts all the focus on becoming. You've got to grow, you've got to improve, you've got to become better. I have been trying to train myself to put the focus on the being. It's because I personally have faith in this moment. I believe in the present. It's the only thing I know to be true. You tell me something about what's happening outside of this moment and I can say, yeah, maybe. But if you ask me about this moment, I can say, yeah, I'm sitting in this chair. I can tell you the warmth that I'm feeling. I feel the fan, the light. I can see you. I'm with you. That I can, I have faith in. I can tell you about that. When I choose to focus on my being, I find that the becoming becomes natural. I end up growing and improving and all that as a byproduct. Right, just like yoga. The second you do yoga just to get more fit and more flexible and you know, get that six pack or whatever, you're you're losing the benefit of yoga. That's not what yoga is about. The side benefit, the side benefit is that you get fit and all that. 
the real benefit is you learn to become aligned with what is, right? You learn to be. And so that's my distinction for accepting and settling. I want to be in this present moment fully, right? And that doesn't disempower me. What that does is it helps me to look inside, like right now, what am I feeling? Right now, am I feeling like, do I, in this moment, right now, am I here with you? Or is there a part of me that's pulling me out, saying, oh, you know what, I'm done, I'm done, get out, you know? And only when I'm fully present can I, can I really listen and be. And in that way, you kind of align with Jiddu Krishnamurti's idea of right behavior, right? There's a right time to even get angry. Um, there's a right time for everything when you are in that moment and outside of the analytical. And so that would be, I don't know, maybe slightly philosophical kind of answer to the question. But I know that I am, you know, kind of embracing what is when I'm aligned. And part of embracing what is tells me when I'm just accepting and settling in a way that's not healthy. You know, I'm putting up with things that, that, that I'm just convincing myself to stay with, even though I know I should change. Does that make sense? Yes, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, just to break the stereotype once and for all, because even companies um, specifically, most companies nowadays specifically press for team players, is being alone and content with yourself really as bad as society makes it seem? No, not at all. I think it's essential. I think it's absolutely essential. Look, I'm, since I was a kid, extroverted. I'm one of those guys who, you know, I'm very comfortable around people. I can be on stage. I can be a group of new people and make friends very easily. I mean, I've backpacked for five years, right? Made friends, strangers all over the world. I'm very comfortable with it. But that if I rely too heavily on that skill, I'm not going to learn the other skill of building a relationship with myself. My relationship with myself determines how good of a team player I am. Why do I get up and do all of this stuff in the morning and all of that? It's so that when I'm interacting with my parents, I'm the best version of myself. You know, so that little things don't get in the way of our relationship. When I don't interact well in a team or work or with relationships, it's here. It's not normally the dynamic outside, no matter how rude or whatever someone's being to me. It has to do with, oh, I'm being to them. <laughs> it has to do with what's happening in here. When I'm healthy and good and I've got a healthy relationship with myself, you can put me in some incredibly difficult situations and you'll see the best of me coming out. I'll draw the best of my team members out. But when I'm attacking myself and disconnected, unaligned, feeling stressed and all of that and not here, then you'll see the worst of me. So, yes, I think that both are important, but I put the emphasis on the, on the relationship here first because we've not been taught it. Most of us are very deficient in that. Speaking of the relationship between yourself, is it easier to forgive yourself or is it easier to forgive others and why? Okay, for, from my personal experience, I would say it's, it's been much harder to to forgive myself. And I think it's because I didn't even know that I was blaming or hating myself, you know? 
So it was obvious that I was holding something against somebody else. But it took years to recognize that I was still holding on to all of the mistakes I've made and still beating myself up and so on. So, yeah, that took a lifetime. I mean, it's, I'm still working on it, you know. I'm still working on fully learning to forgive myself. Once I do that, it becomes much easier to forgive others. Because I see the humanity in myself. So then why would I not see it in them? And as my aunt once said, uh, sometimes we think uh, we need to blame ourselves because it is wrong in the eyes of the society. Then she asked if everyone is thinking that the society is going to judge us or we are afraid of what the society is going to do, then who's the exact person who's judging us? Because everybody's worried about themselves. That means there's nobody else there. And it is your own fear of you making, shattering your perfect image or the image of what you have about you. So let us talk about older people. So my grandparents, for example. No, let us accept the uh, fact, none of the elder people had life easier. With that being said, do tougher situations lead or make tougher people? or increase the chance of uh, people committing suicide in uh, reference to nowadays a lot of you know a lot of teen suicides are due to the pressure from colleges and work but when you compare the situations from before where you had no food or you had to work every day so in context to that do you think tougher situations make tougher people or increase the rate of suicide i don't know if i can you know make any kind of statement on that I can hypothesize I, I think that um, I think it really is it, you know from what I've read it really depends on what a person does with that tough situation you know I mean we have examples on either side you know you can go on and on about all those you know Oprah Winfrey and all the great people who have gone, you know really come from suffering and difficult times and that was the crucible that helped them to cultivate their lives Ideally, yes. I mean, okay, so I would say that you really don't grow into greatness without difficult times. So you do need tough times to grow. Um, whether or not that, that takes you up or takes you down is entirely on, based on how you respond to that difficult time, right? Um, it can crush you or it can grow you. The pressure might be too much. Um, so, Okay, let me alter the question a little bit to make it easier for you. Do you think uh, earlier times people were tough? People have become soft now, but the times have just changed. I think the times have changed. Uh, you know, and just look, you know, the, if you took, uh, you know, a man, I think it's, they say, from the 18th century, and you just showed him the, all the information that we have in one newspaper, it's more than what he would experience in his entire lifetime. And that's the newspaper. Nowadays, we don't have newspapers. We have iPads and internet, right? In, 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 in five minutes on the internet, we could gather more information than he could have experienced for his entire life. Now, the brain has to deal with this. It's not easy. It's not... Uh, Yes, yes, this is like, you know, as they say, first world problems, right? Like, 
know, that, oh, we've got so much stuff now, we're suffering, you know, it's true. There is an extent to where we could just be like, hey, you know, kind of grow up, <laughs> you know, deal with it. Um, but at least as our parents were growing up, they had some strategies because they could lean on their parents, you know, and they could lean on their parents because times weren't changing they, they were changing but not as rapidly there were some big changes i mean you, you can go back in time when they invented the press it changed everything people started to read you know they, when my grandfather was born uh, probably when he was 20 the first telegraph was put up in uh my sir yeah and 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 these you know the the printed word the, the telephones these had you know radio these had massive implications but it's still, I think, an order of magnitude much, much lower than, than things that we are going through with the internet and, you know, things like that. And so I, I think it's the same set of tools, but they need to be adapted. We need, you know, the wisdom from our grandparents and our, and our ancestors and our parents to be, to, to be adapted. But because of the disconnect, we end up, you know, they don't want to talk about it, we don't want to talk about it, and there's this constant thing where we don't learn from each other it's the same it's i, I think it's the same tool the tools that that, that we are learning today you know uh, like i said i was into a postcard today with a neuroscientist was basically just talking about the benefits of pranayama talking about the benefits of i mean these these were thousands and thousands of years ago you know he was talking about box breathing i'm like hey dude you're talking about pranayama man don't talk about it like it's some new invention yogis invented it like they discovered it four thousand years or three thousand years ago you know I think the fact lies where people think the tools of the old in this modern changing era won't help. And there's a feeling from the other side as well as they feel it's useless and they can't compete with the modern uh, growth. And hence, uh, they don't want to like disclose probably. Yeah, I, 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 it's simply not true. I think those tools uh, are so powerful, but they need to be they need to be adapted and we need to talk about them. We need to try them, we need to experiment with them in our own lives with each other, you know? And if we can't even talk about this stuff, how can we, how can we adapt anything? Thank you guys for watching part two of the mental health special of the Tech and Tales podcast. Tune in next week for part three. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.